Welcome to Woodlands Church. We are so glad that you're going to church with us today. Even though uh, we're not able to meet in our buildings, we're still meeting. We're connecting. And that's what's so important. In fact, we have more people coming to Woodlands Church right now than ever before. And there's more people connecting that could ever fit in our buildings. And so we welcome you to church wherever you are in the world. We say from the Woodlands to the world because we have people from all over the world who are connecting with us right now. So welcome to Woodlands Church. We're so glad that you're here. You know, if you wanna join Woodlands Church, really get connected to us. We're having our membership class and that's next weekend. And you can connect and uh, you can sign up for that online at wc.org. We want you to come on and just join the church. It's gonna be an online class, and so you can take the class from anywhere in the world. I'll be teaching the class, and uh, that's how you join Woodlands Church. So I I hope that you'll do that if you're interested in joining the church. Um, We praise God for what God is doing through you during this time because the church is not empty. It feels a little strange that I am talking to an empty auditorium, but the auditorium is not the church. The church is not empty, the church is deployed. We're doing more ministry than ever before. And we're in this series we're calling Overflow. And so, right after this next song, um, I'll be teaching the message, and God's really using this message this weekend. An overflow of grace, and how to experience it in your life, and how to give it. But we, Woodland Church, are part of the overflow, because God is doing a great work through you. We're calling it Operation Overflow. And we're going out to the hospitals and we're feeding the medical professionals. Um, We are uh, just doing amazing things, going to the medical center and hospitals all around the Houston area as um, we've heard that so many of them now are overflowing with COVID patients. And so many of the doctors and nurses are just overwhelmed working these 12 hour shifts and just just worn out. And so we've been taking teams from our church, volunteers going to pray and In our cars, we pray, and then uh, we go in and do the feeding. We give them the free meals, and we provide food for them. It just encourages them so much, and we wear our masks, and then when they come off onto the shift change, we hold up signs saying, we love you, we're praying for you, we praise God for you, you're a hero, and it's just making such a huge difference. Um, Also, we're giving food into under-resourced areas in a major way. And so I just wanna share with you what's been happening just the last two weeks since we started Operation Overflow as a church. We've been to Ben Taub Hospital, the COVID unit, and fed all of the medical professionals there. Smith Cancer Hospital, LBJ Hospital, St. Luke's, HC8 Northwest, Memorial Hermann Northeast, Methodist Hospital Willowbrook, And this week we'll be going to Texas Children in the Medical Center and the Methodist Hospital in the Medical Center, their COVID unit. We also, this week, gave away 11 tons of food and groceries in 11 different locations to homeless shelters, women's shelters, under-resourced neighborhoods, uh, food pantries, even churches to help them stock their food pantries. Um, It's just been amazing what God has been doing this week through you, Woodlands Church. And we're getting so many messages of thanks, so many emails of thanks from people. Here's one that says, I'm a registered nurse who works in the ICU at HCA Houston Northwest on the night shift. I wanna say thank you from the bottom of my heart for not only the food, 
put the message of thanks. It's a good feeling to know that folks are praying for you and the patients that we take care of. God bless you and thank you again. And here's one. My daughter just called as she left her ER shift at St. Luke's tonight. Your church folks provided sandwiches, held signs of encouragement, and prayed for them at shift change. She was in tears when she called. It meant the world. Thank you. Here's another. I want to say thank you so very much to your church. I'm a nurse at Houston Northwest Hospital. Wednesday, July 15th, your church provided lunch for all the healthcare workers. But also, when I left work for the day, it was about 7.45 p.m., your church members were standing outside the hospital with signs saying, thank you for your service. I want you to know how appreciative I am of this gesture. It was very nice to see people when I got off work saying thank you for my service during the pandemic. Thank you. And here's another one. Last night was truly an amazing evening of divine intervention. Five months into the pandemic, our crew needed a lift of nourishment and prayers. The meals were terrific. Please pass along our thanks to your pastoral colleagues and congregants who joined as cheerleaders. We had many a tear shed. 12-hour shifts can be excruciating. Great meals and abundant love sure help get us through the night. And just on and on, we're getting so many responses from medical professionals, nurses, and doctors who are so overworked during this time, risking their lives on the front line, and you're meeting their needs. We need you to help us out this week, and we're going to be delivering more food. We're going to be meeting more needs in under-resourced communities. We've been going to um, uh, fire stations, police stations, and giving them meals. We've been giving groceries out, filling up food pantries. We're doing more ministry than we've ever done, and We need you to help us volunteer. Just click on that place on the website, wc.org, and you can volunteer with us this next week to be part of it. We wear a mask. We're as safe as we can be, but this is worth risking for, making a difference in the lives of others. I want you to see what we've been doing, just a little video that we put together. Just watch. And those statistics were just for this last week. And we're just getting started, Woodlands Church. And we're stepping out in faith more than ever because we really believe that 2020, when it's all said and done, won't be known for the year of COVID. It won't be known for the year of coronavirus, but it will be known for the year of overflow, the overflow of God's grace in people's lives. I believe there's gonna be so many who look back years from now and say, that was the year that God really got a hold of my life. That was the year that I really turned to Christ. That was the year that I got saved. That was the year that I really started serving at Woodlands Church and God opened my eyes to why he put me on this earth. That was the year. I believe with all my heart that God wants this to be known is not the year of coronavirus, but the year of the Lord's favor upon your life. And so we're at the time now where we're gonna give back to God some of what he's given us and our offering time. And, um, you know, I just wanna say that as you give, just know that you give out of love. And that love makes a difference. God multiplies those gifts. We all can't give the same amount, but we can all give something. And so I just really encourage every one of you to give something. And uh, we need to put God first in our finances for our sake but also for the churches because the church needs it right now. We really do because God's called us to step out in faith and we believe where God guides, God provides. And so just to be totally upfront, the church needs it more than ever because we're doing more ministry than ever. And so I really encourage you 
to go online, wc.org slash give. And that's how you set up giving online. If you've never tried it, you can give from wherever you are. You can set up recurrent giving like Chris and I have for our tithe to put God first. And then you can give your offerings, the extra that God calls you to give at different times um, as well. But I really encourage you, go to wc.org slash give. And I know that some of you have been really blessed during this time. And maybe you're the few that have, as most everyone has experienced loss and difficulty in some way. But, but some of you, you, you know, you have some extra blessings. And God calls us to do extra um, and I just really challenge you to give a gift that's sacrificial for his glory because this is the year that God wants to do an amazing thing in your life. You give for your sake. You give for the church's sake. You give for all the people whose lives will be changed. But most importantly, we give because we love Jesus. That's when we give because he is the answer. I believe that with all my heart, the local church is the hope of the world. I believe it more than ever before that the answers aren't gonna come from political institutions, they're not gonna come from educational institutions, it's gonna come from the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, being the body of Christ, being the love of Jesus to the world, that's the answer, Jesus Christ. And so as we give, we give out of a heart of love. And also just encourage you, if you've got your smartphone, you can give on your smartphone, just text the word give WC. You have to put it into one word, give WC to 77977. Or you can also mail in a check to One Fellowship Drive, The Woodlands, Texas, 77384. Or you can also give stocks or assets. There's many ways to give. And we all can't give the same amount, but everybody can give out of a heart of love for his glory. And let's pray that God will multiply those gifts. Dear God, we come before you as we give our offering. We thank you that we do it because we love you. And we love what you're doing to the ministries of this church. And Lord, I just pray that you'd put it on every one of our hearts to serve in Operation Overflow, to give, to make a difference for your glory. And as we serve and as we give, Lord, you give us the things that money can't buy. You give us that peace and purpose and joy, that grace overflowing. And Lord, I know also you promised to meet our needs. And I pray that you would do that. Bless everyone who's giving, Lord. Bless Woodlands Church. We thank you for all the ministry that's happening right now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Woodlands Church, we're in this series that we're calling Overflow, and it's a time, it seems, when so many people are overflowing with fear and anxiety, overflowing with confusion, overflowing with anger and frustration. And when we experience that kind of overflow, we just splash onto everyone else our emotions our fears, our insecurities, our anger. The hurt just comes out on everyone else, but for God's children, God says it needs to be different. God wants to fill us to overflowing with peace. We should be overflowing with joy during this time, overflowing with confidence, overflowing with hope. And today we're gonna to talk about overflowing grace. And we're gonna look at one of the most important chapters in all of scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. It's been called the fifth gospel by Christian theologians. It's been called the forbidden chapter by Jewish scholars because it's hardly ever read in synagogues because it points so clearly to Jesus Christ. This prophecy was written 700 years before Christ was born. 
but it's as if the author is sitting at the foot of Golgotha, looking up at Christ being crucified on the cross. It's an amazing prophecy, Isaiah 53, of the coming Christ. Hey, by the way, Jesus fulfilled 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, including the place he would be born, where he would grow up, how he would be betrayed, the clothes would be gambled for, how he would be silent before his accusers, how his trial would go, and the way that he would die, that he would be pierced and raised up for all to see. And by the way, crucifixion wasn't even invented at that time. There's no such thing as crucifixion at the time Isaiah wrote this prophecy. It was invented by the Romans as a cruel form of execution. And then the scripture tells us in prophecy that his bones would not be broken, not a one of them, and the thieves on either side of him had their legs broken so they would die quicker, but Christ was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. And then the scripture says in the prophecy, he'll be assigned a grave with the wicked. And he was, that was where he was supposed to be buried. He was supposed to be thrown into a pile outside the city with all the criminals um, and then burned. But he wasn't because Joseph of Arimathea came forward. And it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And that was the prophecy. And it's in Isaiah 53. And it's amazing to see all these prophecies fulfilled. In fact, the mathematical probability that all 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies would be fulfilled by one man's life is just astronomical. The probability of that is, in fact, mathematicians have actually figured out the probability that one man and one life could fulfill all 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah as one in 840 with 97 zeros behind it. That's the number. Now go ahead and put the number up. That's it right there. I I can't say that number because I have no idea how much that is, but that's a lot. And that's what mathematicians say is the probability that any one man in one life could have fulfilled all those prophecies. But Jesus did. Well, let's look at just one section of Isaiah 53, and we're going to go back to more of it in just a minute. Just follow along with me. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you read this, it's like God has transported Isaiah 700 years into the future. And there he is sitting at the foot of the cross, looking up at Christ being crucified. And it is my prayer today that God would take you back 2,000 years that God would take us back 2,000 years so that we could sit there at the foot of Golgotha and look up and see Jesus on the cross clearly because this is where the grace overflow started. And so many people aren't living in the grace overflow. I know that when you come to Christ, you become a Christian. You receive his grace, his free gift of forgiveness that you can never earn or deserve. It's all about his grace. You receive heaven one day. It's all about his grace. 
But I know that many Christians then go back to living in a cycle of guilt and shame and feeling unworthy, feelings of worthlessness, feelings of shame, not having victory over sin in their life. And it's because we often don't live in the atmosphere of grace that he died for us to live in. And we don't understand how much he loves us. And we don't understand what he sacrificed for us so we could have a relationship with him, so we could be cleansed and righteous in Christ. And so we could have strength and victory and power. Overflowing grace. And so we're gonna look at that because it really started at the cross. When those drops of sinless blood fell from the cross, the grace overflow started. And that grace overflow can change everything in your life. Really, what I want us to do is just stop and pray right now that God would take us back 2,000 years so we could see the cross clearly. Dear God, I thank you for your love for us, and it's amazing to me to see, Lord, this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53 that just talks so clearly about you, Jesus, and I pray that you would take us back 2,000 years so that we could see it clearly. Lord, we talk about the cross all the time, but I think we miss so much. And I pray today we wouldn't miss it, but that you would work a miracle in our hearts and lives, that we would start living in an atmosphere of grace, and we would start giving grace, and there would be a grace overflow in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to look at four snapshots of grace as we stare at the cross and see Christ dying on the cross, because this is where you begin to feel an awe of grace. You begin to see how amazing his grace is. First, I want you to see the face of grace. The face of grace. And most paintings of Christ on the cross clean it up a whole lot. I mean, all the Renaissance paintings of Christ on the cross may show a little blood coming out of his hands, a little blood coming out of his feet, maybe a little drop or two of blood coming off of his forehead because of the crown of thorns, but it cleans it up, it sanitizes it so much. Because you see, to look at the face of Christ on the cross is to see his face covered completely in his own sinless blood to see that his face can't even be seen through the blood. And so let's look at what the prophet says as he sees it clearly in Isaiah 52, verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, any human being, and his form marred beyond that of human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations. After he was beaten and flogged, and he was bruised and bleeding. His face was so marred, it was unrecognizable. His appearance was so disfigured that it was horrific to look at. And I'm sure people looked away in disgust because of the ugliness of Christ's face on the cross. The beauty of the Savior on the inside, but on the outside, the ugliness and horror of the crucifixion and that ugliness upon his face was really 
the symbol of the ugliness of our sins, the ugliness that we try to hide. You know, we put on a good show on the outside. Uh, we can make ourselves look pretty good on the outside, but we all have that ugliness of sin that eventually comes through, the ugliness of our selfishness, the ugliness of our pride, the ugliness of lust, the ugliness of lies, the ugliness of greed, all the ugliness of our sins, and it disfigures our souls, and it destroys our families and communities. In John 19, 2, it says the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And so the Roman soldiers, to mock Jesus, found a, a Middle Eastern thorn bush and wrapped it together and put it on his head. It's a crown of mockery. Now, when I think of thorns, I think of maybe thorns that are one-fourth inch, something like that, but Middle Eastern thorn bushes, the thorns are like five inches long. It was more like a crown of knives being shoved onto his head. And the capillaries in our scalp, uh, there's so many capillaries in the scalp, more than just about any other surface area of the body. And so when those Roman soldiers would have taken that crown of knives, that crown of mockery, and shoved it onto his scalp, the blood would have gushed down his face. And the blood would have gushed down his face and matted in his hair and covered up his face completely. So I think about those crown of thorns and I think about the face of grace and the ugliness of the face of grace but the beauty of it because he went through what he went through. I look up and I see his face in the suffering and he did it all for me. He did it all for you out of love for us. You see, I know why Jesus had to die. I don't understand it completely. It's such a supernatural part of it, but I know why he had to die. He had to die to take on all of my sins and all the sins of the world so that we could again be right with perfect, holy God. He died as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, for all of my sins so that I could be totally forgiven. I know why he had to die, but why did he have to go through all the other stuff? I mean, why couldn't it have been a quick execution, just gotten it over with right away, and he died for our sins and the sins of the world? Why did it have to be a, a painful, torturous execution? Why? Why the crown of thorns had to be shoved onto his head? Well, after Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says God spoke to them and said, one of the consequences of your sin is now as you cultivate the earth, you will have to deal with the thorns. You'll have to deal with all the thorns now. It's been pretty good as you've been farming, but now it's going to be really tough. There's going to be rocks and thorns and it's going to be a lot more difficult. One of the consequences of their sin and disobedience and rebellion was the thorns. And there's so many times in Scripture where God says, your sins will be like a thorn in your side. Oh, you think you got away with it? No. The consequences are going to get you like a thorn in the side. You see, the thorn has always been a symbol of the consequences of our sins. And so Jesus, when he died, not only died to forgive us of our sins, but died to take away the consequence of our sins. And we're all familiar with the, the thorn, the consequences of our sin. The thorn of shame, that shame that keeps us from wanting to really connect with God, that shame that keeps us running from God, hiding from God and hiding from others. The thorn of guilt that just weighs us down and burdens us. 
the thorn of fear, the thorn of feeling worthless and unworthy, the thorn of total separation from God, the consequences of our sin. When Christ died on the cross, he not only took upon his body all the sins of everyone who has ever lived, the most evil, horrific acts he took upon himself. The Bible says he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took all the worst sins of the world, my sins, your sins, upon his body. But he also took all the shame, the thorn, the consequences of our sin. He took upon himself. And for the first time ever, the Savior felt overwhelming shame, overwhelming guilt. He felt almost unbearable fear and anxiety. He felt complete loneliness and complete separation from his father. And he did all that for me. He did all that for you. You see, when Christ died, he died not just to forgive you of your sins, but to take away the shame, the guilt, the loneliness, the feelings of unworthiness and worthlessness, the thorn away. But so many times, I go back to trying to put on the thorns. I go back to listening to the enemy say that you're not worthy, you're worthless. Or I'm filled with shame over my sins. And God says, you don't have to feel guilt anymore. You don't have to be weighed down with guilt. You don't have to feel shame anymore. We're all trophies of God's grace. We can be honest. and open. We don't have to hide the ugliness anymore. And we can just say, yeah, you know, this is my flesh, but I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. You don't have to feel shame anymore. You don't have to feel that burden of guilt anymore. And by the way, guilt is real. A lot of people say, well, guilt is just something made up, you know, because of religious folks and something you put on yourself. No, guilt is real. And if you deny it, if you act like it doesn't exist, it'll still come out in all kinds of crazy ways that are destructive in your life and in your relationships until you deal with it. And the only way to deal with it is through Jesus Christ. And once you receive Christ, that guilt is gone. But as Christ followers, then you can put it on yourself. As a Christ follower, you can feel guilt over your sins. The Holy Spirit convicts us. But that guilt and shame, Satan puts on us. Conviction draws us back to God to say, Lord, forgive me. Yeah, I sinned. Yeah, I agree with you. Conviction draws us closer to God and into the light. Satan's guilt pushes us away and says, you can never go back to God. The same old sin. You can never go back to God. You're worthless. You can never go back to God. But you don't have to have the shame anymore. You don't have to have the guilt anymore because of the crown of thorns, the crown of shame he took upon himself for you and for me. When I look at the face of grace, the ugliness of our Savior's face is such a beautiful thing because it's the beauty of the gift of grace as he took the ugliness of our sins. He took the shame, the hurt, and the pain. But here's the thing. You don't have to live in guilt anymore. But you will live in grief at times. Grief over your sins. Grief over the pain. 
But that grief draws you to wanting to repent. That grief draws you to wanting to make amends. That grief draws you to wanting to bring restoration. And you become a restorer. You become a grace giver. You start overflowing with God's grace because of the face of grace. Well, I want us to look now at the feet of grace. The feet of grace. You see, as you look up and you see that cross, you see the Savior's feet crossed over and then a huge spike going through his feet and the blood pouring out. The same feet that walked mile after dusty mile to heal the hurting. The same feet that walked on the water on the Sea of Galilee. The same feet that were washed with sweet perfume mixed with tears of regret. The same feet that walk to you and come after you no matter how far you've run, those same feet willingly laid down on the cross and took the spike. Isaiah 53, five says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. See, the reason he had to take the spike in his feet is because our feet walked away from God. In Isaiah 53, six, it says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Our rebellious feet walked away from our heavenly father and his path for us. You see, the scripture says that when you're in rebellion to God, when when you're saying, I want to be God, I want to call the shots in my life, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to go down my path instead of your path, God, I want to do what I want to do, I want to be God. When you're in rebellion to God and you're trying to play God, the scripture says you're an enemy of God, that actually you're at war with God for control. And that's why you hear some pastors say, have you made peace with God? Because until you make peace with God, you're at war with God. And that's what we've all done. We've walked away. All of us, it says, like sheep have walked our own path and done what we wanted to do. and We've rebelled against our Heavenly Father. In Max Locato's classic book, He Chose the Nails, he tells the story of Madeline. When Madeline was three years old, her her father, Joe, started a tradition with her. Every Christmas Eve, he would turn on the music and then he would dance with his little girl. And when Madeline was five years old, she jumped into her daddy's lap on Christmas Eve and said, Daddy, it's time to dance. You remember, don't you? It's time to dance, just you and me dancing before everyone comes over. And he says, of course I remember, honey. How could I forget? And he took her by the hand, stood up, turned on the music, and For a moment, just for a moment, his wife was alive again as he remembered those so many nights before Christmas where they would walk into the garden and dance the evening away. But then came the pregnancy and the complications, and Madeline survived, but her mother didn't. And Joe, this butcher from Minnesota, was left to raise a little girl all by himself, and he did the best he could. He wasn't great at connecting emotionally, but he did everything that he could. He loved her so very much. And every Christmas Eve, he would keep that tradition. And she always looked forward to it, and they would dance together. But then when Madeline hit the teenage years, rebellion swept into Joe's house like a Minnesota blizzard. And he would say later, I had no idea it was coming. 
and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do about the late nights out, and I didn't know what to do about her sneaking out of the house. I didn't know what to do about her bad friends that she had and her poor grades and her loser boyfriend. And, but he said, I tried to do everything that I could. And one Christmas Eve when she was a teenager, he turned on the music, and as she came down the stairs, he said, Honey, would you dance with Papa? She looked at him like he had offended her greatly, and in a huff, she just walked out the door and slammed it. She came back that night, but a few weeks later, she left. She ran away. He had done everything he could do, constantly trying to show her how much he loved her. Someone told him that they saw her at the bus station with the loser boyfriend, and they got a ticket to Chicago, and after that, he said, I have no idea. Well, they actually ended up in Houston, and the loser boyfriend and Madeline were living in a a little room in her boyfriend's house in Houston, but it didn't take long. They broke up, and the boyfriend left, and the boyfriend's brother kicked her out of the house, and she was homeless, and she ended up dancing in a club as every night she would be objectified and abused. After months of this, she started feeling the emptiness so desperately, she started thinking about going home. She started thinking about her father almost every night and his love for her, and, but the shame kept her from going home. She left in pride, but then shame, it kept her from going back home. She said, I can't face him after what I've done. And one day, the, her old boyfriend's brother came over with a stack of letters. He said, apparently your dad tracked you down to my house, and he's been writing you all these letters, so I thought I'd bring all of them over to you. She couldn't even bear to open them and read them. She felt such shame. But then a few weeks later, just a few days before Christmas, one of the other dancers came up to her and said, an older man gave me this letter for you a couple of days ago, and I didn't know where you were, but here it is. He said, is she... She said, is he still here? And she said, no, I guess not. But, and she got the courage to open up the letter. And the letter said, I know where you are, and I know what you do. But it doesn't change anything about the way I feel about you. What I've said in each of the previous letters is true. All of a sudden, she grabbed all the other letters, started going through them, and soon there were just letters all over the floor and tears streaming down her face. Within an hour, she was on a bus, and she was going home. And then she knocked on the door, and her dad answered it. And she said, if the invitation still holds, I want to take you up on it. And he said, honey, of course it does. And he took her by the hand. He turned on the music, and they danced that Christmas Eve. And all those letters that were opened, she had in her purse, and each one of them said, will you come home and dance with your papa? And she did. And I want to say, God says to you today, will you come home and dance? Will you come home and dance with me, your heavenly father who loves you so much? I love you so much. You see, every one of us has gone our own way. We've walked away from God. We've turned our back on God, but here's the good news. He never turns his back on us. I love the way Jesus put it 
in Luke 15 when he told the story of the prodigal son who ran away from his father only to end up in a pig pen and he finally woke up and realized how much his father loved him and he started coming home and in Luke 15, 20 it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. What a beautiful picture. You know, Christianity is the only religion of the world's religions that pictures a God like this. All the other religions picture God stern and holy and a God who judges. But only Christianity pictures a God who runs to a repentant child and runs and holds them in his arms and hugs them and kisses them, rejoices over them. I'm so grateful we have a God like that. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he knows it, and he still feels the same about you. And all you have to do is come home. Just come home. Those feet, as I look at those beautiful feet upon the cross and the blood pouring forth, he took the spikes in his feet because we've all walked away with our rebellious feet. But those feet, the beautiful feet of Christ, will chase after you all your life until you turn. And then he'll hold you and he'll never let you go. You can come home today and experience his grace. But I want you to see this next verse because I love what he does when we come home. In Isaiah 53, five, it says, but he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed and we were healed. All that he went through brings healing to us. Do you need healing today? Do you need physical healing? God still heals physically. Do you need emotional healing? Do you need relational healing? Do you have a relationship that needs desperate healing? Is there a deep wound in your soul that needs healing? Do you need spiritual healing? The greatest healing there is is spiritual healing. When you come to Christ and you receive Christ, then he forgives you and gives you heaven one day and brings healing and brings your spirit from death to life. God wants to heal today. But I want you to see a third thing. Not only the face of grace and the feet of grace, but let's look at the hands of grace the same hands that broke the bread and produced the miracle that fed 5,000 on the hillside, those same hands that reached out and touched a leper that no one else would get close to and heal the leper, those same hands that washed the disciples' feet, the same hands that created the universe and set the stars in place, the same hands stretched out on the cross and willingly took the nails because he loves you so much. And when he died, he reached out his open hand to the right and to the left. Even in his death, he was reaching out his open hands of grace to sinners like you and me. Now, one rejected him. One rejected his open hand, and in so doing, in his heart, drove another nail into Christ. The other one accepted. The other one accepted Christ's open hand, and in his heart, he reached out and took hold of the nail-scarred hand and was forgiven. Isn't that amazing? You know, a thief on each side, even in his death, one chose to receive him and one chose to reject him. But it's a symbol, I think, too, of in life how one person can receive him, one person can reject him. Why? Because he gives us this powerful thing called free will. 
You, you see, if I was God, I would have just made everybody love me. If I was God, I would have just programmed everybody to honor me, to love me, because it's what's best for them. And I want everyone to worship me. I deserve worship if I'm God. But that's not what God did. God gave us the power to choose whether or not we wanna worship him, to choose whether or not we wanna follow him, to choose whether or not we wanna love him back, to choose whether or not we wanna accept him or reject him, to choose whether or not we wanna curse his name or praise his name, to choose whether or not we wanna even believe he exists. He gives us that right. Why? Because love is not love unless you give the power to reject. You know, if you're programmed to love someone, that's not really love. And he loved you so much that he gave you the power to even choose to reject him. And that's why some will choose him, some will reject him. Today, he reaches out his nail-scarred hand, and all you have to do is reach out and take that hand. Just reach out and take that hand. And if you've never done that, you can get it settled right now. 2020 can be the year that you came alive. It could be the year of God's favor in your life. Would you just click online right now, raising your hand to receive Christ? Something happens when it's your choice. See, there has to be a point in time in your life where you choose, you decide that you want to receive Christ, that you want Christ in your life, that you need him. You need his salvation. You need his grace. You need his free ticket to heaven. Just click that right now. I want to receive Jesus. And would you just pray this prayer with me? You don't have to close your eyes. Just pray this simple prayer. Just meet it in your heart. Dear Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today, I see it so much clearer that you love me so much that you gave your life for me. Even when I've gone my own way, you've come after me. So forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me with your perfect blood. Come into my life with your Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out. I need you. I can't earn it or deserve it, so I accept your free gift of grace and forgiveness in heaven one day. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life. He'll never leave you. Would you just click that? We want to know about it, and our pastors would love to talk to you about it if you want. If, if you want. They're right now chatting live, and they would love to talk with you more about it, how to grow in your faith. If you're a Christ follower, here's the thing that's so important. Every day, keep living in his grace. Breathe in his grace. The only way you can do that is just admit each and every day that you're broken, but he's the blessed one, and he's the one who's forgiven you and you're a trophy of his grace. If you start acting like you got it all together, then you're gonna miss out on his grace. Uh, you're not gonna live in his grace. And so when Satan fills you with shame, just step right into that shame and say, yep, I don't deserve forgiveness, but I have it because of Jesus Christ. Step right into it and live in grace. Live in grace. Woodland Church, great things are happening. I hope you'll tell some friends about the 11 a.m. Our 11.30 a.m. service that's coming up. We have 11.30 a.m. And then we have um, 3 p.m. Central and 6 p.m. Central coming up. If you know someone who needs this message, text them, post it on social media, let them know. The grace overflow is starting, Woodland Church. God is doing it. In spite of all the enemy is trying to do, God is bringing a great grace overflow. And we're praying for you. We're praying for healing and strength. If you need prayer, please let us know because we wanna pray for you, we wanna connect with you. We love you, it's amazing to see all the comments coming in and all the people from all over the world that are connected with us. And Chris and I are gonna continue our daily overflow 
every morning at 8 a.m. We're gonna do one a day, we're gonna switch off every other day. Chris one day, then I'll do the next day, and then Chris and back and forth, but it's at 8 a.m. on social media, all of our uh, social media sites, 8 a.m., the daily overflow, so connect to us, 8 a.m. tomorrow. We love you, Woodlands Church. Operation Overflow is just getting started. Praise God for the grace overflow at Woodlands Church and in your life. We love you. Have a great day. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.